Welcome to Two Crones in a Book, where your host Shell and Annette will give you honest, in-depth book reviews and share book-themed rambles that may or may not on occasions take a dark and twisty, if not utterly bizarre turn. Reviews start with light spoilers, if you want to know if the books are any good, and then we head to the spoiler floor, where we give a blow-by-blow breakdown for any of you cheeky chappies who want to sound like you've read the book, but just don't have the time to read it. But all those of you that did read it and thought, what the fuck? Either way, be warned, every episode will contain spoilers and language that some listeners may find offensive, thus the explicit rating. So consider yourself thoroughly fucking warned. <laughs> now, take a seat, buckle up, buttercup. It's time to begin. Hi everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Two Crones in a Book with your hosts Annette and Shell. And today we are reviewing... The Couple at Number Nine by Claire Douglas. Also, it was narrated by Kenton Thomas and Natalie Buscombe. Audiobook was 12 hours and 43 minutes. Shell, how many pages were you? 409. It's a decent size one for us because we kind of average out about the 10 hour mark. So it's a little bit over. What did you reckon to the couple at number nine? I'm going to open with that I did really like it and I did really enjoy it. However, mm-hmm. I do want to specify for anyone who's considering reading it, a lot of the feedback and the reviews says that it, it, was, it was horrifying and that it was <laughs> blood curdling <laughs> it it wasn't for us but then i don't know if that's a reflection of us rather than most people yeah um <laughs> but it was i did really really enjoy it it was it was really good i was really really pleasantly surprised and it was twisty and i i didn't twig i didn't develop a theory that was accurate until i was about halfway through which is quite good for me yeah well what i will say is i made a comment about this and I said when we got the book and said it it kind of sounds like an ITV drama. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the funny yeah. thing was they actually make that reference in the book. <laughs> yeah, page seven. And I'm looking at it now. It might look like a scene from an ITV crime drama, yeah. but its presence drives home the reality of the situation. <laughs> oh. When I, it's, I thought of you, as soon as I read that line, I was like, ah! I was roaring laughing. But for those of you outside of the UK, uh, those ITV crime dramas, they're kind of like staples when it comes to autumn and winter. Like Sunday yeah, night, yeah. nine o'clock, you're getting ready for work the next day yep. and you get bundled up and you watch a good old crime story. And yeah, yeah this is definitely fits in that mould, but a lot of other books we've read kind of around that could fit into that category as well are mm. not nearly as good as this one was written. No, and I, I absolutely love that this book acknowledges it. You know, you're talking like, or did I say it was page yeah. seven? You know, the author's gone, it's like an ITV yeah. crime drama. It's like, woohoo, she's yeah. plugging it, she's plugging it. How long till it's in production? <laughs> like, I know who I am. I know what this is. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, and, and yeah. owns it. Owns it so it well. It is, is very well done. But yes, um, like you said, I was... Because I've seen it on a lot of lists too, where it's like this twist will really get you. It's like, yeah, no, uh, chapter twenty-eight. I figured it all out. You know, it was. It goes on to like fifty odd. Let me see where I was. I was on page one hundred twenty-eight. Oh, you were a little bit ahead of me. It was page. It was chapter thirty. I suddenly had the epiphany. Was yeah, like, and oh. I was like, oh yeah, I know what this is gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> 
but it was still good and you weren't sure and but the delivery of the twist yes. was really good but we, i think we're yeah. running ahead of ourselves let's start at the beginning so anyone who's considering this book which i would recommend Annette, i would, would definitely recommend? i think this is a great kind it's a great holiday book for sure um if yeah. you just kind of maybe wasting time on the train like on your commute it's a nice little dose of it every so often so yeah it's a nice easy yep. listen to for sure okay so the gist of this book is is you you've got some primary characters um, and we start off with Safi uh, and her mm-hmm. partner Tom uh, it's the chapters alternate from the main character's yes. point of views so I liked that and the time scales jump about a little bit as well as you get towards the the end of the book but Safi and her partner Tom are expecting a baby and they move to this remotish area this little village um, and they've got a cottage now the cottage they are from London they are from um, (laughs) they are um, from London originally Safi's mum is living in Spain and it turns out that the cottage belongs to her grandmother a lady Mm -hmm. called Rose and no neither um, Safi's mum Lorna or Safi knew anything about this cottage until Rose, the grandmother, started to develop dementia and had to go into a home and they had to declare all the uh, assets associated. And that's when they, they kind of discovered about it. Um, the mum had no interest in living in it at all and said it was left, it was uh, written into a living will that it, I think the name was transferred, even the deeds, to Lorna. And Lorna said, I've got no intention of living here. I'm quite happy in Spain. You, Safi and Tom, take it because you're about to have a baby. You can set up home. So that's how they've ended up there. And they're yeah. super happy. You know, Tom's chipping away, making the house all, all nice and lovely. And they decide to build an extension on the house. And the builders are out there. Uh, and all of a sudden, they discover two dead dun, dun, bodies. Dun. So the builders dig up two dead bodies. And that that's kind of where yep. we start off. From that point moving forward... You start to, to follow an, an an investigation and a pathway to, to see who these bodies are. It comes to light that one's male, one's female. Initially, you don't know if they're recent or they're old, but they turn out to be quite old. They're from the 80s, I think it is. They estimate yeah. the, the 80s. Um, and that that's your background. And as you, you read through the book, you're jumping from point of view to point of view and you're getting bits of information that they're having to, to discover um, and work their way through. Have I summarised that? That's spot on. Well done, you. Not too bad for a bit of improv. (laughs) Um, So these bodies are found. She's a little bit anxious, Safi. She works from home, a little bit anxious. Rings her partner, Tom. He whizzes home because he's still uh, working. Yeah, he's in London. He gets the train down. Um, So he comes home. You get a bit of background on the relationship. So Safi was always very close to Mm -hmm. her grandmother, Rose, whereas Lorna never was. And that becomes quite, you, you get a little bit of feedback on that later in the book, but we won't get yeah. that to you now. Which is why she kind of has this run mentality. So she's a bit of a free spirit is Lorna. She'll just up sticks and move around the world and do what she wants to do. Yeah, because she had um, Safi when she was very young as well, wasn't it? Because I think Lorna's only in her, for, is she in her 40s. Yep, and they're often mistaken yeah, for sisters, yeah. aren't they? Um so yeah, that, that's your basis really. She, she rings mum, mum comes over and says she's going to fly over from Spain. Uh, you've got the, the trauma that's going on of now all the villages looking mm-hmm. at them. And I don't know how much more we can give away without starting to give away spoilers. No, I think we need to um, maybe make a trip to the spoiler floor, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty short, vague intro, but it's once the book begins, 
after that point, so once you start moving away from that point, you're starting to get bits of information that, that are relevant and start to give you clues and tidbits, aren't you? Yeah. So like this is that, I mean, this is as much of the basis as we can give you without spoiling anything for sure. So from now on, from now on in, it will be spoilerific. And if you are going to stop listening, we liked it. We loved it. We We're did. recommending it. Definitely, definitely. It wouldn't but it's be not my horror. It's no, it's not a horror. It's not my normal cup of tea. I wouldn't. How would you not? I like a th- I like a good thriller. It's been a while since I've read thrillers, to be honest. I wouldn't. I I don't think I would have necessarily picked it up to begin with. But then again, since we've been doing this and we've read so much horror outside of the podcast, I've mm. started reading less horror. <laughs> Yeah, you're having a bit of a non-fiction bout, aren't you? I am. I am. I've got lots of factual books at the minute, lots of biographies and such. <laughs> I've gone weird. proper gothic. Have you gone full full gothic? Yeah, I've got a, a copy a copy of of Camilla. I've got a copy of Weathering Heights. I'm in the process of finishing off Dorian Gray. Oh, I, I, I've gone to a bit of my 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 gothic literature love well i'll tell you what it's perfect for this time of year now that you the changing of the seasons coming yeah. up very nice you're learning tundle. stuff and yes and i'm getting lost in a victorian era yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, okay well let's move on to the spoiler floor yeah with that said all aboard for the spoiler floor next stop the spoiler floor Okay, so the summary that we've just kind of touched on beforehand is uh, what's referred to in the book as part one. So the the book is divided into sections as well as alternating between the point of view of the characters. Your key characters are, we've already mentioned Safi, who is the granddaughter Mm -hmm. of Rose, who was the original owner of the cottage. You've got Tom, which is her partner, although we don't have a point of view storytelling from him. No. Um, You've got Lorna, who is Safi's mum and Rose's daughter. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Theo, who, when he first drops in, you think, what the fuck is this dude? Because he appears to have nothing to do with it. He seems a random side note. Yeah, it's like he's just picked this this guy out of nowhere that lives in the north is suddenly yeah. narrating and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, you just, I can't make the connection. Yeah. Um, you've also got Victor, who is Theo's dad, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have a point of view um, perspective in this. He's just referenced in it. You've got Rose... Um, who is the grandmother who owned the cottage. That's the grandmother of Safi and the mother of Lorna. Important to note, Lorna is also known as Lolly in this book. Um, and then you've got another key character who is Daphne. Daphne, mm-hmm. Daphne I can't say the name. Daphne, yes. Daphne, thank you. <laughs> Bizarre moment there. Had a total brain fall. <laughs> Which is ironic because I love Daphne de Maurier. Yeah, and that's your, your key players. So as we move into part two... This is where you get a point of view perspective from Rose, the grandmother, Mm -hmm. and it bounces back to Christmas Eve 1979. Um, And you start to get an indicator here that she's hiding. She's running from something. So she's she's in the the village where the cottage is. um, And you get this point of view where you start to to get an idea that she's hiding from someone. She's very protective of Lorna, who's tiny, tiny at the time. I think she's under three. And she makes reference to the fact that she needs a lodger. And she bumps into this woman who ultimately becomes her lodger. Mm-hmm. So not within that specific sense, but ultimately becomes her lodger. And this woman who becomes a lodger is a lady called Daphne. Then you, you bounce about a bit. At this point, Lorna has come over from Spain and is staying in the cottage with Safi and Tom. 
Yep, that's right. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a small bit of backstory there with Lorna. She's obviously, she's in a relationship with a guy back in Spain who it, it's apparent that he's been cheating while she works. Yeah. So she's kind of, from the sounds of it, it's not the first time this has happened. It probably wouldn't be the last. So when she gets the call from Safi to come over because they've found these bodies and they need to speak, the police want to speak to Rose, she mm-hmm. needs her help. So yeah. it's the perfect opportunity to to come over and be with her, knowing full well that that part of that part of her life is probably over, and he's going to be packing his bags while she's there. Yeah, he's a bit of a playboy, I think, isn't he? Yeah, he is a bit of a player. Yeah. Um. So they start digging around, um, and start trying to put bits together, um, as they come across the information and things that the they go to see uh, the grandmother Rose. Um, but she does have full-on dementia, so she's there and then she isn't there and she's there and she isn't there. And, and she starts to say things and she references someone called Daphne, which kind of, of prompts them to start doing some digging and some looking. Lots of other little bits going on, but ultimately we kind of jump ahead to about page 151. And because of some information that they found, Lorna decides that she's going to jump on a train. And I think they found a surname for this Daphne that supposedly lived there so she jumps on this this train and she goes down um to find a, a relative which turns out to be the brother of, of Daphne and she ends up having a chat with him now she's a little bit cautious because they've got a lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. and she's a little bit cautious and when she goes to meet him they end up going for a cup of tea I think it is or a drink in, in a cafe yeah and it comes to light that yes this this is the woman that they they thought they'd identified However, she died way, way before she could have possibly moved to the cottage. Yep. It's also coming to light at this point that although they didn't know about the cottage, um, the grandmother Rose did live in the cottage along with Lorna because Lorna has had flashbacks. So she didn't realise, she didn't recognise the cottage until she walked in and she walks into a bedroom and I think she recognises the wallpaper or something and she's like, hang on a minute. This was my room and I used to have a red pair of shoes that used to sit there. Yeah. So you're starting to get that indicator that, hang on, there's a part here that she doesn't remember. She describes it like a scratching at the back of her head. Anyway, Daphne goes down. She has a chat with this bloke and um, it comes to light that Lorna finds out that, that she she's dead. There's no way it could have been her. Yeah. And he ends up mentioning another lady who committed suicide by walking into the sea one night after his sister died. Um, and wasn't her name and, Sheila? Yes, and Sheila. that is one of the. It turns out that what what we didn't mention before was when Rose was being questioned by the police, she mentioned four names: one being Daphne, one being mm-hmm. Sheila, being a bad girl. Um, yeah. There was Janet, and there was Victor. Yeah, and the way she said something was like she hit. Janet hit her over the head. The head. Sheila was a bad girl or a nasty girl. Yeah. And Victor, was it was gonna was looking wanted for to hurt the baby. Wanted to hurt the baby. That was it. Yep. So those are the the clues, and they've obviously she keeps phasing out, so she won't discuss them further. So that's why they're trying to find these names, and then so obviously the link from Daphne to Sheila happens. Yeah. And some of the background where you've got this going on is you, you, you're you getting a bit of a build-up of, of, of Theo. Yep. Um, and the kind of relationship and the kind of man that he, his dad is. Oof. 
Yeah, and he's a bit of a nasty bastard. He, yeah, he's a he's an older father, well off, very much his whole life as he's uh, pl- surrounds playing golf. Yes, obviously he had Theo later in life with his wife who was who's no longer alive. She um, yeah. had said that she'd fallen down the stairs. Yeah, she was alone when it happened that's what Theo's been told and she was found one of the important things that's going on as well is when you jump back to to Rose she's giving you a description of the it's like she's talking to someone it's as if she she's she's written a, a letter or a book for someone and she starts to talk about um the relationship and how important Daphne who Lolly calls which is Lauren calls Daffy has become in their relationship and how close they've all become yeah that's quite important moving forward. And they're, they're building that relationship. And things start to go on. So they run the, they identify the time frame that the two bodies uh, would, have, would, have, would have died. And it transpires that that's a period that Rose was living at the cottage in hiding. Absolutely. It comes to light that she's absolutely terrified of, of being found. In the meantime, Theo's done some digging of his own on his dad, Victor. And you find out yeah. that his dad, who is a doctor was accused of uh, sexual misconduct, yeah. professional sexual misconduct. Basically, he got handsy and gropey, is the accusation, during an examination. And obviously, back then in the time frame that we're talking about, which would have been the 80s, the 70s, the 80s, there was no such thing um, for anyone who isn't aware in the UK, any kind of exam like that, generally the doctor um, or the consultant always has what's referred to as a chaperone, which is a, an in- so no one's on their own with you to be inappropriate. Yeah, but they didn't have that back then. Um, so he starts doing some digging, yeah. and he ends up breaking up into breaking into a cabinet in the study. He gets a prompt because he sees a newspaper article on his dad's desk, and it's to do with the two bodies that have been found. And there's a note on it that says, "Find her." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, he has um, Safi and Rose's name circled, and he says, "Find them." Um, which kind of prompts him to do some more digging, which is when he reaches out to a colleague that his dad did work to, but they seriously stopped working together. Uh, and he finds out about the, the creepy Nazi pedo sex offender behaviour. Yeah. Um, although his dad was never convicted of it. He breaks into this cabinet that's locked in his dad's room and he finds all these photos oh my God. of these, these women. I thought that was quite tastefully done. There was enough information for you to realise that it was bad and to realise what the content yeah. was, which is basically unconscious women in the middle of exams. Yeah, um, yeah it wasn't highly graphic at all. Um, she handled it very well. Definitely. It was yeah. not sexualised at all. No. So Tom decides, he goes home to his, his girlfriend and he says to his, his wife, I think it is, and says to his wife, you know, I think we need to go up there. And that kind of prompts that yeah. what comes next is, is that their journey is going to take them up to, to reach out to the people at the cottage. There's this whole bit where Laura Lorna is on her way back from meeting the guy who's told her that it couldn't possibly have been his sister because she would have been dead before then. Yeah. And she died of cancer. And she appears to go missing. So Safi and Tom go into meltdown because now they can't get hold of the mum when she's supposed to have already been home. Mm. And they're ringing and the phone's not being picked up and stuff. And you, you do get this this anxious... I, I was invested at this point. You, you get this period where you're thinking, oh my God, what's happened to her? Yeah. Because um, there's already been a creepy guy loitering around the cottage. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's sort of like just kind of making general conversation. But as... As um, Lorna was walking away from him, because she just assumed he was another reporter, he said, oh, no, I'm nothing like that, you know, just yeah, just local, whatever. And then as she's walking away, he said, uh, oh, say hi to Rose for me. 
Which he shouldn't have known. No, yeah. he should not have known. It was a complete yeah. stranger. So, yeah. We, yeah, we completely forgot about that. I always forget about that character, though, because he he feels like he should be more significant, but he's barely... Well, he is quite significant, because later in the book, it's him that grasses someone else up, isn't it? Yeah. I think um, he was a means to an end more than anything, really, wasn't he? Yeah. And I think it was a, a, an element of, of terror, really. Yeah. Um. So... Lorna has already seen that there's there's fag butts in an area of the garden that there shouldn't be as if they've been watched and she thought they were. Anyway, she's on the train on the, on the way back and she disappears so no one can get hold of her. It flashes back to her. So you've got several chapters where you think, oh my God, has something happened to this woman? Yeah. But then it flashes back to her and she gets off of the train and she, she hasn't got a phone. She's lost it. She's only just realised that she's lost it, which is why she hasn't been able to answer it or let anybody know where she is. She gets a guy at the taxi station to ring um, to, at the train station to ring a taxi for her. She drops into the taxi, she drives all the way back to, to the cottage. He drops her off and he pulls away straight away. He doesn't drive her to the door. He just pulls up at the top of the, the lane, the valley, and then he drives away. And as she's marching back towards the cottage, she's grabbed from behind. Yeah. And it's this creepy arsed guy that says that he's a detective who's already told Safi previously, sorry, this is relevant, that he needs some evidence um, that Rose would have had. Yeah. Uh, and he's left his card. And he, he grabs Lorna. Um, he threatens her. He says, you know, if you say anything to anyone, I, I won't just hurt you. I will hurt Safi. Find, find the evidence. Yeah. And he, he says, you know, I know what care home she's staying, Rose is staying in, and, and all of that. She's terrified. She ends up getting her, like, her, her knees are all grazed. She breaks her heel. He lets her go, and she runs back to the cottage. And before she even knocks at the door, Safi and Tom come running out because they've been sitting there anxiously waiting for her. And she goes in, and she kind of tells them what's gone on, but she doesn't mention that Safi was threatened because Safi's pregnant, so she's trying to protect her. Exactly, exactly. There's this whole other point. Now, you may be asking yourself, why didn't they go to the police with this evidence? This is really fast-paced. And during yeah. this time, there's also a scare with Safi where she thinks she might be losing the baby. So she gets rushed to hospital. So there isn't a pause, is there, for anybody to, to draw breath? Honestly, and that's that's the same as you as a, as a reader or a listener. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, no respite you... in this book. <laughs> no, it is something always happening. So anyway, she doesn't lose the baby. She goes back and, and then we, we kind of move into part four part three part three which, yeah part three which is where um tom then says he's not going to leave and he goes sick uh, he stays at the house so that he can keep an eye on her and and they have a break in while she's at hospital mm-hmm. um where the house has been torn apart they come out and someone's kicked cottage back cottage door off and has totally ransacked the house but they haven't stolen anything so it's very clear that they're looking for something yeah the mum lorna says you know it's it's almost as if um, they were watching the house to know when you wouldn't be here because the house hasn't been empty until this point. Yeah. Anyway, they go back to the care home and they have another conversation. The police have also tried to, to interview Rose, but her dementia is, is kind of in and out. She phases there and she phases not, but she does drop key words in, like Annette's already said, um, which is, oh, wanted to hurt the baby. Oh, hit her over the head. But you don't have a fucking clue what's going on or who these names are. Yeah. Now, Lorna... And Safi take very different approaches to to Rose. Lorna's quite offish and starts to think, it's not that she doesn't love her mum, but she starts to, to seriously consider, did her mum kill these people? Yeah. You know, they said that she's... <laughs> yeah, whereas Safi's still going, no, she wouldn't, you know, that's not who she was. She wasn't like that. She'd never have done it. Whereas as Lorna... And you, I think that's kind of reflective of the different relationships that they yeah. had with Rose. 
Yeah, Safi has complete, utter, blind loyalty to Rose. And devotion. She she loves her, was really close with her. Yeah, yeah. And Lana's never really had that relationship with Rose. No. And then as we skip back to Rose, you kind of find out some key bits where it turns out that Rose hooked up with the lodger. Um, seems to be everywhere at the moment. Um, <laughs> Rose hooks up with the, the, the lodger. The lodger, you're starting to get warning signs with their relationship that come up. So Rose was friends with one of the landlords uh, of the local pub who was really nice and helped her out when she first moved down there. Nothing in it, just w- was a really nice no, guy. Yeah. Daphne starts to put seeds in her head of, of doubt like she turns around because she works there as a cleaner and she turns around and she says oh no he grabbed me one night and, and tried it on and I had to like, push him off and tell him no so yeah. because of her insecurities already relating to men which is clearly beginning to build although you don't know the background why um, Rose thinks he wasn't who I thought he was no man can be trusted Yeah, um, and she has that triggering knee jerk reaction yeah so what you can see as a reader very clearly looking from the outside is Daphne is beginning to isolate Rose. Yeah, definitely. Is, yeah, you know, and, and Rose is beginning to tell little porky pies that don't make sense. Like she ends up leaving the pub and going to work at a farm and she starts coming home with this really expensive stuff, um, like bits of meat and tiles and things like that. They end up having a hot heart and it turns out this is once they've hooked up, and it turns out that Daphne um, isn't Daphne. She was actually a child murderer. Yeah, she was. Because well, wasn't it? She references Mary Bell, doesn't she? Well, the, the, there was a, um, a reporter had been looking for her. That's who she was hiding from. Yeah. And he confronted um, them. Yes. He confronted them, didn't he? And said, yep. you... You do realise who she is, don't you? This is Janet such and such, which Janet was the other name yep. that Rose kept mentioning. So it turns out that Daphne is really... Janet. Well, well Janet, but well, she, she was... I mean, we also find out about the other one yet. No. We'll just go with Janet bit. So, yeah, we find out that Daphne is actually Janet, who was a convicted child murderer when she was also a child and the story goes that she had hit her friend over the head but with such with such a blow that it it was an instant kill wasn't it yep um they'd been very close friends this and then this little girl decided out of nowhere she just kind of wanted to start hanging around with someone else janet became extremely jealous and that's when she lashed out yep uh, she got put away uh, in prison. She did her time. But when she came out, she was given a new identity. Mm. And that name was Sheila. Yeah. So there's your other name that suddenly makes sense. Sheila, who allegedly drowned in the sea. And who was yep. friends with Daphne. Yes. The who sister. Died of, of yeah, cancer. Who died of cancer. Um, you've also the police also get some DNA results back or some they've done some investigation and they managed to identify one of the bodies now one of the bodies is male and one of the bodies is female yes Um, and they identify the male body and it turns out to be this guy Neil someone who went missing around the time that they think the bodies were buried uh, and turns out to be a journalist 
Mm-hmm. And then we jump to one night Rose looks out into the cottage. <laughs> looks out into the garden from the cottage and she can see Daphne is having an argument with a man and she thinks, oh my God, he's, he's found her because she's kind of gotten under the impression that she's also running from a man. Um, and she goes out there and things escalate and that's when, as Annette just said, um, he turns around and goes, says, you know, you're going to make my career. Don't you know who this is? This is so-and-so. And it ultimately, he's, his behaviour is quite threatening and aggressive and he ultimately what happens is Rose stabs him. Yeah, she thinks she's defending Daphne because of her horror, horrible background. Although we still haven't clarified what that is, um, and she ends up stabbing him. Yeah, protecting the has... woman she loves. Yeah, and she has a little bit of a meltdown, and she's like, "Oh my god!" We've got... And she does try to save him. She's like, "We need to call an ambulance. We need to stop the bleeding." And Daphne's like, "No, no, no, we don't, because you know you'll get found. Then your name will go in the papers, and and then who you're running from will find you." Yeah. So she does this whole psychological thing and she goes, no, no, we'll just bury him in the garden. So Rose has never done anything like that before. She's a little bit traumatised and she Mm -hmm. takes herself off to bed and Daphne takes care of it and buries him in the garden. So that's your first body. You'll note that there's only one body when we know that there's two. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we still don't know who the, the other one is. Yeah, the the woman body, because it was a woman, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. In the meantime, Tom has made his way down to... Uh, the cottage he's reached out to them they start having a chat sorry, um, Theo Theo sorry yep Theo yeah, works Theo. his way down to the cottage with his wife they reach out to them they end up having a chat with Lorna and um, Safi and they, Lorna and Theo both come to the conclusion that they actually think that Rose was running away from Victor yes and that possibly Lorna is the daughter of Victor which yeah. is Theo's dad. So they do a DNA test and that's confirmed. So we've now got that link in with, with Victor. So that's who Rose was running from. She was running from Victor. Yeah. Um, although it's not necessarily due to a sexual uh, assault. The background that we find out yeah. with that with Rose is she it come, she is confirmed as gay. So her relationship that we thought was initially just with Daphne wasn't just with Daphne. She has had a, a history with other women. The woman that she was with before, she wanted a child with. So they went to a fertility doctor. He said, yeah, yeah. Who no was Victor? Who was Victor? I do it all the time. It's not a problem. She gets pregnant her, through this treatment. Mm-hmm. Her partner leaves her. Her partner decides that parenthood isn't going to be for yeah. her. I'll um, change my mind. See you, bye. <laughs> yeah. And, and bolts. Rose then has conversations with, with Victor, who is her doctor, and says, you know, she's gone. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I'm on my own. And he, they've become quite close, and he says to her, well, why don't you, you move in with me? Yeah. Stay with me. And, and I'll look after you. I'll be your friend. Red flag, red flag. Um, exactly. <laughs> and it, it does turn out to be a red flag. So initially everything's great and hunky-dory, but then he, he becomes quite controlling. He doesn't want her to go out. He doesn't want her to talk to anyone. And she turns around and says, you can't tell me what to do. It's not your baby, and I'm leaving. Yeah. And he dramatically turns around and goes, actually, it is my baby. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah he's he's been using his own jizz jazz to impregnate women yeah so do you know what normally i would find that like more like <gasps> but it's like not long ago we read a book like that <laughs> oh, do you know straight away i thought of the cottage and i was like oh it's obviously a topic that's surfacing recently in a lot of people's minds does this happen a lot <laughs> yeah. i ain't going to see nobody for no baby you stay away from um, my, my lady parts <laughs> 
Um, so that's your link then, then with, with Theo, that you, you've had this background of this horrible bloke. And the detective, who is the guy who grabbed Lorna and threatened them and is looking for the evidence, is works for Victor, which is Theo's dad. Yeah. And you find out that you, you still don't know what the evidence is that they're looking for. But when you get the revelation from Rose's point of view, when it, it drops in with it, she is security when she runs from the property. She, because she's got a little bit of inheritance tucked away, so she's she's not broke. But when she runs from the place, she makes sure that she she finds this folder very similar to what he's had with all this information on all the stuff that he's done to the women, and that's like her insurance policy. Yeah. And she runs to to this. I think it's in Wiltshire where she's got enough of her inheritance money, and she buys a cottage, and that's where she's going to hide out. That was quite significant. They go to the police uh, about that, and Victor gets nicked. Well, the, the detective gets uh, nicked and he rolls on Victor and then it all comes out and he gets charged with a load of stuff. And fair dues to Theo. Theo's having absolutely fuck all to do with it and tells his dad to fuck off. Much, as so he should. Because I think, it doesn't it also come to light that it wasn't an accident when Theo's mother died? Yeah, he. you get tidbits, don't you, from Theo when he's remembering stuff, how his mum had bruises and um, stuff like that. And yeah, it comes to light that he... he, he his dad killed his mum, threw yeah. her down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we still don't know who the last body is. Um, and you get a load more stuff coming out. And you get a, a, a quite a bit of information uh, coming to the surface to do with, with Rose um, and with Safi. And they go back to the, the care home more than once and, and have a chat with her. What was really, really clever is when you all of a sudden, so you're reading this through. I'm just flicking through the book trying to find it. Um, yeah, because everything from Rose's point of view, isn't it, has been like almost like in the form of a letter to 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 Lolly. Yes. So to her daughter, it's it's where everything else is talked like is 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 it's happening as is. This is like a like a diary entry or a, a, yeah. a note, which is a very differently different tone from yeah. the other narrators. And um, Lorna, because she's she's not letting any of this go, um, she starts having some conversations in the village. And there's a a, a very elderly lady who used to run the ice cream shop, a a cafe, something that she gets chatting to. Um, And one thing leads to another. And when she's talking, she she says, yeah, no, I remember your mum. She was a a, bit edgy. They were um, in the bell ringing group together. Yeah. um, And she also confirms that when Daphne moved in, how Rose began to drift away and wasn't as out and about as you thought she was. We know that that ties in with around the time that she killed the guy that's now buried in the garden. So that was when she withdrew and wasn't coping very well. But there's a bonfire night and, and this lady says that she remembers that night when she, when she thinks back on it, that Rose said to her, I'm, I'm worried if anything happens to me, the, the evidence is in the fireplace. Yeah. So in the meantime, you get Safi and Tom and Lorna. They tear apart the house, rip apart all these fireplaces, but they, they can't find anything. And that's important to remember. So mm-hmm. they, they check the fireplaces. And then what happens is you, you get this 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 drop. So as Annette said, we're jumping from person to person, point of view, point of view. And then all of a sudden, at around page 390, so this is really close to the end of the book, Yeah. all of a sudden you get the point of view of Daphne. Yeah, and it's like, but we haven't had anything from her before. The word? Yeah. And as Daphne begins, uh, I don't know what you'd want to call it, monologue, uh, storytelling, the other body in the garden is Rose. 
Yep. And Daphne took on Rose's persona, which is why they just disappeared from this village one night. She just took Lolly or Lorna and disappeared one night. And when you're reading through this, it's it's really quite clever because she's, you know, I, I know that my mind comes and goes, but it doesn't necessarily come and go as as much as they think it does. So she's been playing on it when she she's has. being questioned. But it's also she's forgetting which personality she needs to be. Yeah. Because of the uh, dementia. And I thought it was so well done. It was, and it, yeah, and it, it drops in, and it is Daphne's point of view is coming across, and it's during a visit, and it all comes out, you know, that she 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 took her and she ran, and it was her that killed Rose. I can't remember why she killed. Well, Rose no, what it, it was is Rose was going to leave her, wasn't she? Yeah, because at the bomb, she was already feeling a bit like she wanted to. This wasn't going right. She was getting inklings like maybe we should end things. Then she had her suspicions that Daphne was cheating on her with the guy from the fa- from the farm that was getting her all these bits and bobs. Yeah. Daphne did, admitted, I, I was doing it to make you jealous. I didn't want you to leave me. Yeah. And it was like, well, do you know what? This, I can't be part of this anymore. It's all mind games, isn't it? Yeah. And, that's what, and then she flips like she did with Janet when she was a kid. Like, you will not leave me. And um, yeah. she cracks her head open. Yeah. And just like uh, she did. And then puts the body in the garden. Yeah. Um, so she's, I think one of the, the things here that was really powerful is in the end of her statement, she's, she's got here, and now they know, they know the truth, my truth, before I slip further into myself, because one day I won't have control over how I reveal it. So she was aware enough to know that she needed to reveal it in a controlled yeah. way. And then it goes on saying, I wanted them to know that I'm not a cold-hearted killer. I'm not a psychopath. That the judge was wrong about me all those years ago. Mm. I was a good mother and I was a good grandmother. And that despite everything, I loved Rose. I really, really did. Yeah. So it's, you know, also it's a demonstration. It links in with how the reason that Lorna would never really have that relationship with her mum is that deep down she knew it wasn't her mum. Well, that was the thing because she actually witnessed it, didn't she? Did she? I didn't catch that bit. Yeah, she she'd um, she'd seen Daphne over her mother's body. Ah. Yeah. So she kind of um, like that's why she had that psychological break of why she no longer would recognise this place because she yeah. completely blanked it all out. Yeah. But she loved Daphne almost as much as a mother, but not as much as a mother, but you know, but that's yep. why there was always this disconnect for her, why they couldn't seem to get along and she wasn't sure why. Yep. And then we move to the, to the epilogue and in the epilogue, it's, you find out where everybody is. So Lorna has left her fella. Um, and there's, there's Safi and Thomas still doing the house up. Um, when they're doing the house up, they, they pull something down. I think it's in the bathroom, like a plasterboard wall and behind it, they find a fireplace. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the only fireplace that they didn't check for evidence. And when they do, she finds a letter from Rose and she finds all these photographs that Rose had had um, tucked away as insurance against Victor, um, which leads to him well and truly being arrested and, yeah. and, and put away. And then when they get the evidence back, Safi says, that, you know, I've, I've sent you the letter, Mum. I'm not reading it to you now. It's too long. You need to read it yourself. But there's a page that Safi held back. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't give to to the police as part of the evidence, but she includes it in the, in the letter when she gets the evidence back and gives it to her mum, and it was absolutely absolutely beautiful. Oh. And it, it's basically from Rose, and she is saying, you know, 
I'm scared. I'm scared of Daphne. I'm scared of Victor. I tried my hardest. I'm so sorry. I don't want to leave you. Mm. I'm not going to leave you. But if 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 I do, I I want to leave this behind so you know that it it wasn't because I wanted to. It's because I'm dead. So she knew. Rose knew the level of danger. I think that she was in by that point. Yeah. Um, and it it goes on and it, it I mean it finishes off with be strong, my darling girl. You're not a product of me or Victor. You're your own person. Be the woman I wish I could have been, my beautiful little lolly. All my love forever, mummy. Because she realises now that not only her dad is, is her dad, Victor, a Nazi bastard, but she also perceives herself um, as a murderer because she feels really guilty about what she did to the guy in the garden. Yeah. And it's just, it, this last page was just, it's a declaration of, of love and belief from from a mum to a kid. Yeah. And it... It was it was an amazing way to end it. It was so beautiful. It really was. I just oh, you just oh, poor Rose. <laughs> yeah. So the the gist of it is, when you're reading this book, these two bodies get found in this cottage. There's a lady with dementia that you think is the grandmother who owned the cottage. You work your way through the book. There's a load of other names dropped by the dementia lady. Nobody knows what's going on. Um, and then it ends up where the demented grandmother isn't actually the grandmother. She's the one who killed the grandmother and ran away with Lolly, who was, who was Safi's mum. Yeah, that's the gist of it. It was yeah. good. I liked it. It was fast-paced. There was enough going on to always keep you interested and engaged. Um, Definitely. And I liked the multiple point of views. And it wasn't until, like I say, halfway, I'm looking at the sticker, about halfway, <laughs> that I suddenly thought, roses and rose. I bet roses and rose. Yeah, no, I think the only thing I, did, I didn't see coming was the fact that Victor had done the the um, using his own semen yes. multiple times. That was the only one I didn't see come in. No, I didn't either. I thought he was just rapey. Yeah, yeah. Or he was like um, they were they that they, they had been a. It would lead you to believe that they were almost had been a couple. Yeah, and that you know this was her first froway. Fro- I can't say the word. Fro- you know, into fro-way. a relationship. Yeah, into a relationship with a woman. That's what you. That's what you're kind of led to believe because she's so coquettish about it. See, I, yeah, I got uh, that word out, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> People don't realise that we're probably both hungry. It's lunchtime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, so yeah, that one I definitely didn't see coming. But again, having read, like we said, the cottage, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I shouldn't be blasé about something like that, but it's like, yeah. No, but yeah, it, it was, it, and I think as well that there was so much else going on. Yes. That because we had encountered that before, and yes, it, it, it is horrible and it should never, ever happen. We were a little bit like, yes, but I want to know who Jean is. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me everything else. <laughs> who's, who's Daphne? Um, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I liked it. It did keep me going. It It isn't horrific. It, is, it isn't a horror novel. It is a, a suspense, a thriller, crime drama. And I, I would like to see it as an ITV drama. I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely fodder for that, 100%. I could definitely, on a winter's night, all tucked up yeah. in front of the telly with a, a hot chocolate and stick on the telly. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. It's got because it's got all those twists and turns. It'll be like end of every episode. <gasps> I need to see next week. <laughs> oh yeah, if you hadn't have read the book and you sat down to watch this, and if assuming that they did it correctly and they stuck to the the formatting of the book and the twists and turns in the books, yeah, it would be one of those ones where people are like, I need to binge watch it, but I can't do that on the ITV. It won't let me. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, in short, I'd highly recommend it. I mean, what were the narrators like? Uh, very good. So you have uh, Natalie, who obviously does all all the female voices. She's um, she does do subtle changes, yeah. so it's clear who they are. Very very well done. Theo just felt so weird out of step, <laughs> out of nowhere, just suddenly this male voice, very northern. Very and it, northern. <laughs> very northern. It's like. Oh. Oh, what the hell am I watching? Like, oh, when are we going to Coronation Street? What's going on? <laughs> you know? But um, there was there's a weird moment um, in one of the chapters when I think it's either Safi or Lorna and they're talking with Theo and it's the female narrator doing both parts. So like she's putting on this northern accent out of... <laughs> What? <laughs> that threw me a little bit. So what? No, stop that. <laughs> Let him say you... that bit. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't have any issues as, as you have done with others? No, no, not at all. I always get panicked, especially when it's this style of book, which are all very... Yeah. that. There's a lot of those points that you hit that are the same. You know, it's yeah. people from London move to the country, middle of nowhere, not happy. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Why are you here? Let's go back to the city. Come live somewhere fancier, you know. <laughs> oh, there's a big trauma. Oh, my God. Everyone's suspicious. Everyone's a suspect, you know. I Yeah, I think I would, I'd like to find a horror, something like this, and I'm sure that there are lots out there, but I would like to find something that's based within a city setting. So not a slasher. Yeah. You know. No, not a stalk not... and slash serial killer because that's what you get in the cities. Yeah, they they seem very, don't they? You, yeah. Everyone's got their niche. It would be nice to have something that is either creepy horror related um, or twisty and turny that is is city based that doesn't fall within that slasher stalker genre. Yeah, and not isn't like you've just said. We we moved to the country. I know. And... Don't re- don't rely on the north. The middle of Yorkshire or to be Wiltshire. fair, I don't think it's just the north, no. it? but <laughs> don't rely don't right, don't rely on the Shires to be the place yeah. for it to happen. <laughs> Somewhere where there's lots of woodland. But no, but then again, it's not always the same as that because like the watches even though that's set in the woods, it's completely different from anything and like these. Awesome. So good. Awesome. No, what I what I like is it's it's the um M. R. James said any mm. any ghost story, uh, your ghost needs to be about forty years dead. So right, that that's all like the time frame your ghost should be from to make it still kind of relevant, but not yeah. too obscure. So so, um, a couple of years ago, I don't know if you watched them on Christmas. Um, Mark Gattis, who's mm-hmm. a, a fantastic writer and director and actor has done um, remakings of M.R. James um, stories for Christmas. And... Was that the one with Derek Jacobs in it? Yes. And the creepy pillow being sucked under the door. Yes. He did, yeah, he did, like, he, he did all of those, but he did one a little while ago, and it was using the M.R. James theory of a ghost being from 40 years ago. For, so for us, it would have been someone who died in the 70s. Yeah. And it was uh, based in a recording studio. Okay. Yeah, so it was a late night DJ and it was obviously, I, w- I won't spoil it for you uh, if yep. you want to go out and look for it. It was a BBC one. I can't remember the name of it now, but if you look up Mark Gattis, MR James, yep. you know, you'll find all those Christmas specials out there. But yep. yeah, so 
the reason I mentioned that, if you were to bring it into a city, maybe that's maybe more the notion you should go with of a ghost story. Mm. Yeah. Someone that had died 40 years ago. Yeah. So it's more, more creepy, more modern. You're being stopped by a ghost rather than a serial killer. That would be pretty cool. I, yeah, I think I'm going to um, I'm going to see if I can find anything. If anyone who's listening knows of anything, we want an inner city ghost story. Yeah, I think we need to keep our mouth shut, though. We're uh, giving it all away. Actually, there's one thing I listened to. It was a BBC series, uh, and it was different stories each week. And it was called Murmurs. Yes. It was very good. And there was one that was set in a tower block, and it was um, on the on the top floor. These two young lads are going to go and rob this the, the the top floor flat because they've heard rumors that it's full of riches and stuff like that. Yeah. And they um they break in. There's an old man there. They start to rob the place. And um, he's very cool, calm, and collected. They start to make off. I don't know if they. I can't remember if they'd done anything to him, but they did make off. But then, as they're coming down the stairs, they're coming back to the top floor right. every time ah. they try to leave they're back at the top floor mm-hmm. and i won't say any more than that because you should go and look it up but it was so good cool. so good there's a guy who does a, a podcast he's scottish mm-hmm. um, and i can't seem to find it on spotify but i managed to find it on um a different podcast uh, app called pod addict oh yeah um that was what I used to use. It's not because I went particularly searching for this podcast. And it is, it's, his name is Michael Whitehouse. Okay. Uh, there it is. And he does a podcast which is called Ghastly Tales, the Ghastly Tales podcast. Hmm. And I can't recommend these enough. Um, I don't know if he writes them or if, if he's got input from someone else. But a lot of his are to do... Um, with inner city that you could relate to now. Okay. So there's he, there's one that he does that's on a housing estate and a guy looks out of a window and he sees something in, in the house next door. And you know, Annette, how close housing estates are. Yes. Um, <laughs> and he, he sees something and it's not quite right and it leads down a path. And there's a, a yeah, there's a, another mm. one um, where there's a uh, old man mm. and this old man gets mugged by two junkies. He's in the city, gets jugged by t- uh, mugged by two junkies and they yeah. steal his wallet and they go back to their, their crack den um, and then things happen. I'll send you that one. They're not very long, but they're yeah. really, really good. And he, he doesn't really have any a great deal of effects um, going on in the background. He doesn't really, if I remember rightly, there's no ads or anything. Like he literally it doesn't announce it, intro the podcast, he just goes straight into it. Mm. And he, it's, it reminds me very much of that older ghost, ghost storytelling, although the content is based now. It's that older vibe, you know, if we're all sitting down and I'm just going to tell you a story. Oh, I you know, love like it's, it's, that. Yeah, and I, I don't know why you can't find him on, on Spotify um, or anything like that, but it's, it's called The Ghastly Towels Podcast by Michael Whitehouse. Um, and it's definitely available um, on an app called Pod Addict. But they're brilliant and they're all like that. It's always, it, it's never, you were in a woods in a forest. It's not like that at no. all. It's all creepy shit. Like there's another one with a flat. Um, and this guy wants to get out of the flat, but he can't seem to get out of the flat. And it's in a tower block and it's, yeah, no, they're, they're all good. They're all good. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really good. Um, well, because we're yeah, getting no, to I that mean, time of year now where I want these kind of stories. 
you know that traditional yeah but in settings that we know as well we know rural but, yeah you know if you think really our childhood was in a city wasn't it yeah we want something that's a bit more relatable yeah 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 hmm. but we've completely digressed in and and i started rabbiting on around about this guy who is brilliant <laughs> michael whitehouse um i i mean in short we've already told you we liked it it was a, a stop start here there at least halfway through before I got it. I, I will confess that according to Annette, I got it two chapters after her, so I must have been having a slow day. <laughs> well, what I what I would say was, because I started reading this and I was supposed to read it, I went on um, on holiday and yep. I, di- I just didn't get the chance at all to listen to it in between, so I lost an entire week of listening. Um, mm. But what, as soon as I got back, had the day to myself and I honestly, I blitzed the rest of the book in the in that day. Yeah. It yeah, was just so cool. easy to listen to and to fall right back into as well. Without losing any of its effect. No, not at all. Yeah, no, I liked it. No, definitely. Thumbs up for us. So what we have next, chappies, um, if I can get my mouse to work. It's not going well today. Um, so, oh, we've got a ramble next. And, oh, no. What? I've already kind of touched on it. Oops. Never mind. It's our top three podcasts and movie stroke TV recommendations from the last year. Okay. So that doesn't necessarily have to be anything that's produced or released in the last year, but what we have discovered in the last year. Fair dues. Um, so we need top three podcasts and either an, a combination of either movie or TV recommendations from the last year. Awesome. Ooh, each. Okay, that's not a problem. That is very easily done. <laughs> Do you know, I'm, I think the problem's going to be cutting it down. That is going to definitely <laughs> going to be the issue, a hundred percent. But so that's our next ramble, and then after that, um, we are going to do the Lighthouse Witches, uh, a review of the Lighthouse Witches by C.J. Cook. See now, there's you and me complaining about we we always do the country, we want more city. What about the seaside? Yeah. <laughs> We're finally covering the seaside-ish. Yeah, finally come. And I, I do want to. There's uh, not far from me. There's a lighthouse that you can stay in, and it's always appealed. It's on my bucket list. I'd love that. Yeah. So, th- would you like the synopsis in it? Yes, please. A deserted lighthouse upon the cliffs of a remote Scottish island stands a lighthouse. Strange and terrible events have happened there. It started with a witch hunt. Now, centuries later, islanders are vanishing. There's a lost family. Liv Stay and her children don't believe in witches or curses. But within months of arriving on the island, her daughter Luna is the only one of them left. An impossible child. Twenty years later, Luna's missing sister turns up out of the blue. She is exactly the girl Luna. Oh no, it cuts off. (gasps) <gasps> dun, dun, dun. We'll it does it bloody cuts off we'll never she's know. exactly the girl that luna remembers well there we go yeah um i'm up for that you up for that Annette? yeah it's very it's very different from this one isn't it that yeah that's not a bad yeah. thing that's not a bad thing <laughs> yeah no I, I feel like we need to ex- explore it does sound very different from what we've had for a while i'd say at least i'm, in, yeah, I'm intrigued it's described as an epic um gothic Thriller. See, you had to sneak in that gothic somewhere, didn't you? I do I love a bit of gothic. <laughs> love All right, gothic. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to worm in a nice slice and dice slasher eventually in this. This is getting. This is getting all a bit too gothic. <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> or a gothic slasher. Ooh, <laughs> I like it. Um. Or 
Awesome. Okay, well, thank you, everybody, for your time, and we will um, see you next time. All right, guys, thanks. See ya. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Crones in a Book. If you want to follow the show on social media for extra content, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Facebook at Two Crones in a Book. And on Twitter, we are at Two Crones Pod. Or if you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at twocronespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and have a great day. <laughs>